You're listening to Mid-Atlantic Gravel, Travel, and Dirt. Hey, I'm Joey. I'm Brian. And I'm Jazz, who went out of order, and that screwed me totally up. And now it's Blake under there, if you heard him. This is episode 164 of Mid-Atlantic Gravel, Travel, and Dirt. So if you're new here, this is the podcast where we talk about gravel bikes, adventure biking, bike packing, bike camping, this week, the Croatan Buck 50, Woo-hoo. and the 2022 winner, Ian Boswell, or we're just playing bikes. Did you guys have a good weekend? We're going to get into the whole depth of it, but I just want to hear you had a good time. An amazing time. Excellent. And I want to send a special thank you to Matt Hawkins right at the top of the show. Here. That was awesome. Mr. Matt, Rich Supply. He did a fantastic job and pulled off an incredible event. But joining us a little later is Mr. Ian Boswell. Now, for, major- for the majority of our listeners, he's going to require no introduction. But if you are new to gravel or cycling in general, Ian is a former professional road cyclist, raced in three different Grand Tour events, La Vuelta, Giro d'Italia, and the Tour de France. Ian raced for Team Sky and Katusha before retiring in 2020 following a 2019 crash in Italy, which left him suffering from long-standing concussion symptoms. Now, although he was offered a team spot with Rally Cycling in 2020, Ian made the decision to turn his attention to gravel cycling. In 2021, he won Unbound Gravel, and just last week, took home the win at the Croatan Buck 50 in North Carolina. And Ian also hosts his own podcast, Breakfast with Boz, which I've listened to. I think you've listened to. I think we may have listened to. Which is why we did breakfast tonight before the podcast. In in homage to Breakfast with Boz, we had eggs and sausage and hash browns. Excellent. That's not fancy, but perfect. No games today. We are all business, Jess. We are all business. So do you know what else is all business? Cutaway oh, USA offers premium cycling apparel born in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Cutaway is an industry leader using innovative fabrics combined with clean, bold designs. Make sure to visit their website to see all of the jerseys, bibs, and other paraphernalia that they offer. Check out their website at cutawayusa.com. And when you reach checkout, use the code G. TD20 to take 20% off your entire order. Now that's an order that that's an offer that is a special special discount just for our listeners. Jess, let's dive right into Croatan. I want to hear all about Sector 4. Your adventures of the um, weekend. From start to go. Well, first off, it was a great weekend with my two friends. Um, so that was really a, it was not you two. <laughs> I saw Joey, uh, signaling back and forth and no, it was not you two. I actually went with some girls this time. Excellent. Um, and it was a really good weekend. Um, look at the mic. Sorry. We, um, <laughs> you're paying attention to Blake. I know I, it's Blake hard. Is, it's hard is not to. Blake is at me. <laughs> no. Uh, see? Mm-hmm. Um, so we started off with, um, we stayed at an Airbnb. And we said, yeah, we stayed like by Atlantic Beach um, and which was really nice. I slept in a room with Amanda and my snoring did not bother her. So that was really good. Um, We did the 60 ish. We did the first lap of the 100. So we did more than the 50 because we did that lollipop in the middle. 
uh, which was very long. And the lady told me it was very short, but it was very long. It felt long in that grass. It felt very long in that grass. That grass was the hardest part for me. Um, Sector four, I really liked. um, And when we were reflecting on the way home, I said that was my favorite part of the weekend. Um, So for folks that don't know, Sector four was sort of the gnarly, muddy, sandy, been just recently dug up section, of course. There's a great video on YouTube about it. Yeah. Yeah, um, and that was my favorite part of the weekend. Um, I rode my new bike. I rode my Joey. Chime in what bike I rode. Crux. Uh, the 2022 uh, championship bike of Croatan, the specialized Crux, as we better call it, but it is the Crux expert. Uh, with little electric shifters. Um, I only missed shift once, so that was really good. Um, Aren't you glad you rode that bike? Yes, I am. I thought my Diverge would have been a really shaky bike. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes noises uh, because of the... Joey, shifting. chime in. Shifting. Future shock. Because of the uh, future shock, it makes a lot of rattling noises, especially when hitting potholes. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad I didn't ride that bike. Um, the new bike, the Crux, felt very great. It felt smooth. Um, for as much as smooth as we could have figured out because there was a lot of potholes. Um, so yeah, what kind of tires did I ride, Joey? Terravel, um, oh, what were those Terravels that we both had? Um, the uh, Washburn? Wash, the Washburns? Yeah, they were like the Terravel version of the Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. 42s, she's never been able to run a 42 or frame set, like the Crux. Or the that's that's probably why you enjoyed Sector 4 so much, is car. you really had some substantial I did, tirage. I did, and that was where my mis-shifting was. Um, so I shifted wrong. Tell everyone what I did with your shifting. Um, yeah, Joey rode easy and hard on the handlebars. <laughs> and it worked. And it worked. However, the the Nittany um, frame bag was covering it. So I had to move it a little bit. Um, and I should have moved it a little bit more in sector four. So I wasn't confused. Um, but Ted helped me out. I saw a GT do- GTD jersey. I was like, thank goodness someone was here. <laughs> um, so that was really good. Okay, Excellent. ask me questions, friends. Ask me questions once you want to know about. What was your, you said that Sector 4, which is surprising, was your favorite part of the field. Yes. What did you think of the cornfield? Um, the cornfields were really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, riding my bike on the grass was much harder than riding my bike on the gravel. Um, and at few points, I was like, oh, this is why Joey called it hero gravel is because it was f- pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Um However, when we got to places like Sector 4, um, there was some manipulating of the bike that I had to do. There was some making sure um, I was in the right gear and stuff like that. So I got to learn that on duty, on like patrol mm-hmm. sure. with that. Sure. Because what happened is, is I think I shifted to my hardest gear. Mm-hmm. And in Sector 4, I couldn't even push down that hard. Okay. So Ted spun the back tire and shifted all the way down so that I was able to be in my lowest gear. Right. Because I think I got it up in the highest gear and then I was like, my bike's not working. It's not even pedaling. Right. Um, and I actually said, I was like, Joey said, pedal, pedal, pedal in his last message. And I can't pedal, pedal, pedal because I can't like push it. <laughs> and then Ted was really great and mis- shifted it down so I was able to do it. So the section that you referenced, the grassy section, I rode that on the long weekend as well as the, so that was a section that was passed the first rest stop that was an extra loop to get the 60 to allow the buck riders to get just over a hundred miles. Actually it'd be 106. I think I had 108 for the day. Um, And, and I will agree with you that you come up that, that gravel, that, that 
the 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 sand slash dirt road you make that right hand turn and it's sort of that lollipop that comes back down and it's yep. it's probably a yep. mile and a half maybe two miles of just grass yeah and it, it was it was probably the slowest portion of the course correct and that's actually where the wind started for us right because you just you had just turned into the headwind yep. yep and that was when the wind started getting to us um the pros passed us and they came into the rest stop really, 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 really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I was just like talking to some volunteers about St. Jude and whatsoever. And these guys like whooshing, they pee off their side of their bike. They're yelling for things. And I was like, whoops, sorry, wrong spot. <laughs> like, because I was just literally standing in the middle of the rest stop. Oh. And um, did did you get any more single dollar bills besides the one that I, I gave? I did not, you? but oh. thank you. Oh. I really, that was my, my step in the right direction. We, for we the, were trying to get like a, I got some, but from another way. Thank you, Joey. Thank you. Um, it was great to see everybody there. I we, you know, we could have done the hundred. I really could have pushed through it mentally. I could have. But did you enjoy the um, day? I did, and that's the that's thing all is that I love seeing you guys come in. Like that was our favorite part. Is we rode our bike, we had a lot of fun, we got to hang out at the party, we got to like get all the the I fell in sector four, so I was really muddy. Um, I got to get the mud off, and then I got to literally sit on a bench and. W- listen to Joey and watch you guys come in. And that was really, really fun. So I know when I got back and you guys were there, you actually had mud like on your face. He did. You like, you were, you were, you were in um, it to win it. I fell in sector four. Um, I didn't fall in a puddle like Amanda did, but I did fall. Oh, Amanda Um, fell in a puddle. Amanda fell in a puddle. (laughs) And she had like this little um, rag in her bag. I thought, I think it might've been a gator from, you know, when we're Mm. all running through COVID and she was like, brushing herself off with it and we're like just keep going just keep going um they were nice they waited for me um i was the slowest one out of the three of them um but they were pretty nice they just waited for me um at one point i got some a little grumpy and that's kind of when the wind kicked in um we knew we weren't doing the hundred we knew we wouldn't get the time off so i just rolled with my aftershocks i put them in listened to some um, there you go Listen to some Taylor Swift um, and Chris Stapleton and, you know, just kind of plugged in for a little bit just to get myself out of my head. Did you guys try to work together in that wind coming back? Did you- We should have a little bit more. And that's what happened. Nadine jumped on a pace line because we when you guys were coming in, you guys were coming in and all in the line. Mm-hmm. And we were just like out and like riding without being in a line and stuff like that. So we were trying to do that. Um, but the part we tried to do it as was after sector four and there's just a lot of potholes. Yeah. So we were trying to dodge potholes and stay in line and with the wind. Uh, but that wind was gnarly. Did the, the potholes give you any grief? Uh, no, I actually liked the potholes. Okay. Because it was like do- dodging like large craters in the moon. Like, <laughs> you know, because there was like when Ted said all I did was dodge potholes for 140 miles and I was like, I didn't understand. I was like, okay, whatever. But then after I rode, I was like, nope, I really did just dodge potholes the entire time, like trying to get out of, in the beginning when we all started, we were trying to talk and meet people and then we were trying to get through the potholes too and that was too much. I remember when, you know, coming back from the long weekend and and talking to y'all and kind of trying to give you a little bit of intel, it was like, you know, just don't lose focus. Yeah. Pay attention to the potholes yep. and don't be afraid to use the edges of the road. 
Yeah, if you needed to. And we did. Um, the edges of the road worked out. I rode with that dog a lot. Did you see the pictures of the, 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 the dog, dog getting the pulled? Trailer, yeah. Um, I read that guy's bio and I was like, wow, he was an inspiration. But we like talked about dogs. You know, I was cheering on Hunter. Um, I love dogs, so um cool. It was a really it was a great day. The, the girls already planned our trip back. Um, that was my next question. We it's were, like, would you do it again? We were all ready to go. We were already planning our trip back, saying what we had to do, especially being so early in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew that we had to get outside for more miles, um, even if it was cold out. Um, but making sure we did get out for some miles just because the gravel was fine. The hero gravel was fine. Um, but the mud and everything was something I've never ridden in before. So... Besides training differently, what would you do different for the race itself, if anything? Um, training would have probably been the number one thing. I wasn't sore. I wasn't tired the next day. Um, just time. It took me a long time to get through some of the sections. And it also just took me a long time to get through like that flat cornfield and stuff like that. Um, probably just train a little bit more. That would have been the goal or objective. Now, you did a lot of your training on the Peloton. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that was an issue at all? Or uh, the yes only or no? part we'll I think it that. was an issue was I was not... Joey had my bike set up pretty aggressively, mm. so my handlebars were pretty far down. Um, I definitely want to get a, a fit for um, the, the crux, crux mm-hmm. because it was a little bit more aggressive than I wanted to. Okay. Um, and my lower back, um, because the crux was lower, uh, the seat was higher and the bars were lower than my Peloton, like the fit, the, not the fit, the adjustments mm-hmm. or, um, it was just more aggressive than my Peloton. My Peloton sits much higher up. It's much more upright where my crux was fitted a lot more downright. So the, the Peloton, you would think you would say gave you the fitness, but it didn't quite prepare you for the feel of the bike. Correct. Yeah. Okay, and okay. that's that's just something. I mean, I never rode that bike before. Even my Diverge, I think, sat a little bit higher up than my Crux did. Um, I mean, but that was my first time riding yeah. the bike. So it was just, you know, it was a shot in the dark if I was going to be able to do it or not. Yeah. Well, I did. Th- was there anything else you wanted to? I do want to say that the Crux is a lower, more aggressive style bike than the Diverge. Well, yeah. Yeah, so that adds things that you know I just wouldn't have been able to do because I didn't have the bike. But, but that's also what's going to allow you to have that one bike. I mean, you're going to be able to. That's going to be a fantastic road bike as well as. A I was so glad I had gears bike. in some sections of that road, yeah. especially the cornfield. The cornfield was the hardest for me. Yeah, and it was tough to pick lines through the cornfield too, because unlike sector four, where the lines over the course of the day evolved and were very apparent, the cornfield had just tracked everywhere yeah and you really you really kind of had to you, you weren't sure what was going to and happen. that's why i like i liked riding behind the dog because the dog's base was really wide mm-hmm. so when the dog was riding through sector four i was like i'm just gonna sit behind this guy and keep <laughs> going in his lines because that's what see that's what you do that's smart yeah you just pay attention and he blocked a lot of the wind yeah um, excellent and even though after the halfway point um he wasn't there because he just did the 50 um it was really nice to talk to him he was a really strong cool. rider the dog was super cute, you know, so. That it, dog was ready to go at the start line. It was line. amazing. He was, was, he had his goggles on and he was so barking. Cute. You could tell that dog the knew a race was. The hero of the day. He knew the race was coming and he wanted to get in it. Yep. Um, so I did the long weekend. Um, I went down with um, 
let's see. I went down with Ted and Larry was there and we went in on Wednesday and then spent Wednesday night at the track and then a whole bunch. There was there was 11 folks that did the long weekend. Uh, myself, um, I already mentioned Ted and Larry, Ashley, Charles, Jamie, Jose, Justin, Mark, Michael, and Rob. All these folks took on the uh, the long weekend, which ended up to be 70 miles from the speedway out to uh, Flanners Beach, and then 70 miles back, and then we all did our various and assorted distances on race day, but everybody actually did do some distance on the race day. Uh, it was hard. It was fun. And I would definitely do it again. Now, Matt asked us, this was the first year where he's kind of offered this front end bike packing adventure trip as ahead of the race. And he asked us kind of, he was looking for some feedback and I'm not, I'm not really sure quite yet what kind of feedback I'm actually going to give him. Cause I thought it was going to head in one direction and now I'm thinking, well, maybe it's going to go back in the other. I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure. So one of the, the coolest things that I think we did on that was we, we rolled together. We had sort of a depart. Matt gave us a little send off at the track and uh, we, we stuck together. Although there was lots of um, separation over the course of the day, we, he took us to a lot of really cool little, um, out and backs that were water views or, or kayak launches or boat launches that were on different pieces of water that run through the forest, which was really cool. And again, you would not see that on the race. So unless you're doing the adventure or you go out solo, like somewhere either before or after the event, if you're down there for it, you're not going to see these things. Um, that was really cool. But we went to a uh, Harris Teeter on the way out, out in New Bern. And that was our dinner. That was... Uh, we, we talked about a lot of different ways to do it, whether it was going to be um, packing food out and, and cooking there, uh, which I think some folks actually did do. Um, I was thinking about DoorDash and some pizza in, but then we saw that the Harris Teeter was just a couple of miles off course. So we all rolled up into the Harris Teeter and everybody, I think, pretty much went and we basically invaded that Harris Teeter, which was which was fun, you know, getting food and kind of hanging around. It was very dirt baggy. It felt very dirt baggy. And it was, it just was really unique and different. The campground at Flanders Beach, on point, great showers. I always judge a campground by the quality of their showers. And that one was really on point. Nice, quiet campground. We rolled back out the next day for our return 70. Now, there was a lot of separation in the, the return. People kind of left as they got up for the day. Everybody kind of had their own schedule. So you encountered people along the way. Some people... Um, it cut a little corner here, cut an outback, an outback, out and back there to kind of get some distance. But, um, I, I would, I would hands down do that all over again. Uh, it did make race day a little tough cause we camped Wednesday night at the speedway, Thursday night at Flanners beach back again, Friday night camping at the speedway and then racing Saturday, not a lot of sleep. Uh, and then going out and doing the buck, which ended up to be for me, it was 108 miles on, on, on race day. Uh, I, I felt really strong, Joey, in the race. I felt good. I wanted, you look good. I first, I wanted to, to obviously finish. Then you picked the, the right distance. I think so. I, I had, I enjoyed the day and I think that's, what's important. I, um, I wanted to finish strong. I wanted to finish well. 
And I actually um, did, in fact, finish middle of the pack, which um, was not really a target, but it was kind of like, you know, I, I feel good about finishing middle of the pack. Um, I My day, I left the Speedway. I hydrated, um, really hyperhydrated before we headed out. And unbeknownst to me, I actually didn't fill my water bottles up before I left. <laughs> Sounds about right. So I was getting ready to, which which in hindsight, though, actually worked out pretty well because I didn't carry that water weight and I didn't really need it to that first rest stop, which I was going to skip. But instead, I dove in, filled my bottles, threw a bit of scratch in my belly, and then went out to do that second lap. The second pass by the first rest stop, I actually did skip it. I skipped that, just kept right on rolling. That was the opportunity to come back into the wind for the first time. And I hooked up with some people. I I hooked up with a couple of groups during the course of the day for probably eight or 10 miles. But the rest of my day was pretty much spent solo, which is fine. It was the way I wanted to do it. It's the way it worked out. I wanted to ride my ride, ride my race, and not be dependent upon or responsible for anybody else. And that was how I did my day. And I felt good. It felt good. Um, I did not think so. So when we did the second day of the long weekend, we actually came through sector four. And it was a lot sloppier on that day than it was on race day. Um, it, it really, some definite lines appeared. And Joey, I did actually record with my GoPro, GoPro the entirety of sector four on the first pass out. And that is available on our YouTube channel. And I thought ten thousand cool. views already. I wish. <laughs> it's a, it's not that long. It's like eleven minutes, um, but it gives you a pretty good idea. If you have a hard time explaining to people, if you did it and you have a hard time explaining to people what it was you did through Sector Four, that's probably a good way. You just say, "Hey, go look at this. Skim through it. You don't have to watch the whole thing, but you know, skim through it, and, and you'll get an idea as to what the worst part of the day looked like." And that truly, it was. The, I don't know if it was. Like, like Jess said, it was, you know, her, her favorite part. But for me, it was, it, it, it took a toll on my back, the third or fourth pass, because everybody had to go through it. If you did the 50, you passed through it twice. If you did the buck or the buck 50, you passed through it four times. And it was a, a little um, bouncy, you know, and it, it kind of took a toll on my back. Uh, I would do that distance again in a heartbeat. I would not do like Ted and Larry. I'm going to give them major props. And, and I think Jose and a couple of the other guys that did the long weekend did the full buck 50. Um, that was 300 and geez, 90 miles or whatever it was. No, 290 miles. I can't remember the math. It was 150, 290 miles over the course yeah, of three just days. Just shy of three. Just shy of three. Over three days. That's in, in, in that environment. And, you know, that was tough. And, the real story of the day, I don't think, was Sector 4, but in fact, it wasn't the headwind coming back in. So that that was my adventure at, at the Croatan Buck 50. Um, one more time, hats off, Matt. Fantastic job. Uh, what an event. That many people, you know, the laps around the speedway to start it, the lap around the speedway to finish, to bring it home. Um, just first class. First class all the way around. So what did you do? All right, what everyone's been waiting for. Just <laughs> I was just I called a sub announcer. There was some announcers doing timing. Matt was doing stuff. I mumbled throughout the day, told people to what to do, um, congratulate people as they came in. 
Um, was terrified. I was great until um, I kind of thought about doing the finish when it might be a sprint finish. And I know what Dylan Johnson looks like. I know what Mr. Ian Boswell looks like. There was another guy and some of the flow guys. And I go to Matt. And Matt's doing a thousand things. And I felt horrible. I was like, dude, I don't want to butcher the finish line when you mm-hmm. got these big names at your race. Like, True that. It's like, I'm good everywhere else. Um, it could be easy. Thinking back, it could have been very easy, honestly. But um, I did have Matt come over for the the finish line. Yeah. Uh, when the pro, well, when the top three came through, um, that because probably- they were duking it out, and I was like, all right, I don't want to uh, just mess up who's coming across the line. Who had who came across the line? It was Ian, Dylan, and William, or uh, what was uh, the third place guy? I actually got to look his name up. Like uh, Matt posted, he's a full time banker in Charlotte. That's uh, wild. It's uh, wild. And he crossed the line with those two. Um, also, I could have cheated a little bit because I guess the timing people, uh, when they come in the track, everyone gets caught. Like the time people would have known. So I could have been like, or at least I know those two. And yeah. Anyway, you could, you could hindsight. Hindsight. Hopefully, Matt lets me do it next year. I had no idea what I was doing. Never done it before. You did a great job. Got crispy. You you did a great job. I I came back and, and you were in full stride. I don't know if you were nervous earlier, but by the time I got back... You were like Mr. Mike. You were like Magic Mike up there, like oh. giving people, calling them to the podiums. and I was doing a lot of podiums. Giving people direction and telling people what to do. And hey, good, good yeah. job. Good cool. job. Uh, organizing the, the chaos. That's all I did. Good job behind the mic. No, it was yeah. fun. I not came only, down. Not only did that, though, you saved my day. You didn't talk about that. We talked about when I, um, it was just seeing me. You're grumpy. <laughs> that was a grumpy. I came back in from long weekend day two to have a wheel suffering. Oh yeah, and I I, for- had, I actually forgot about that as I, a big snafu. I, I had a spoke bust loose. It didn't break. It just, just loose. It just got loose, and it and it put the, the tire. So I, I stopped before the cornfield on day two, and <laughs> I t- text updating I, me. <laughs> yeah, I I tension retension the spoke, and it all was well for a little bit, but then. Um, no, that was loaded too. Then it, that would yeah, come back. Yeah, we need another wheel set for bike packing. It kind of it kind of lost that tension, and then when I got back, Joe, you were very kind, and you spent time working on it and got it trued and tightened. But then I took it back out. It's like we're not we're wasting race day for this to happen. So I I took it back out and did a couple of miles and knocked it around a little bit, found some loosened up a little bit, and it loosened. But then you pulled your funny wheel. thing is that bike wasn't going down. Just to try cross. So glad that it did. It was literally like loading up because I got a late start because of fog on Friday. I'm like, you know, in case I do ride Sunday or someone needs, like basically if someone needs something, I just will use my cone and we'll rob the parts. Didn't yeah. think the whole wheel set would go. Well, it saved my bacon, so to speak. And and yeah. I thank you for that because, and and kudo to the Atzo working with the sliding dropout. Didn't have to mess around. That, that seemed like... It was a fairly straightforward. Oh, I was pretty buzzed when I did that too. And it was yeah. dark. Yeah, it was dark. So thank Otto for helping a uh, drunk bike mechanic <laughs> um, in the dark make a nice, clean, simple wheel swap. And it worked beautifully all day long. Not just sorry, a wheel swap's easy, but flipping the flip chip and then mm-hmm. sliding, the, sliding the br- brakes were mm-hmm. no need to tweak anything. It was just ready to go. Drivetrain was solid. Our, somehow our spacing is the exact same. I didn't have to adjust the rotor because of. I was like, all right, I got to adjust the derailers, rotors, different wheel sets. No, everything was perfect. Perfect. And it was, I mean, what it comes down to is that that flip chip did the trick. 
So my text updates real quick. Um, there's some I won't read them all, but at one point I got um, the grid is brutal. You asked me for chain lube. It's like okay, live lube. The grid is brutal, and I said I brought some down. He said right on the sloppy stuff is kind of rough. Not much of it. Then I get no good mechanic that could true wheel. LOL. <laughs> I said how far away are you? I said I'm fine. Had a spoke come loose. Tightened back up. The other tension it seems fine. Um, we only had 12 miles, and it's road, I think. Um, and it wasn't. Yeah, and that was said, sector four. <laughs> every time I look at your location, you just get further away. It says, <laughs> this wheel feels blank, but I'm only four miles out, so it's the only thing I can do I'm finishing today. And then, and, and that was it, too. I mean, it's like, if I wasn't going to be able to ride race day because I had a wheel problem, yeah. and I didn't know what you had back at the Speedway. And everything. I came in clutch with the trailer. Yeah. Trailer was nice. The trailer was on point, having all that space to kind of like call Lock home. Lock bikes up and mm-hmm. if we needed to sleep in there. Keep them out of the rain because we did actually have a little bit of a rain. A little drain the night before. Who likes getting on a soggy bike? Yeah. Um, so kudos. Great job all the way around. Um, and I want to volunteer next year. I told Matt I There's would actually. I don't think people realize how much work. Oh, it's a ton of work. What I What I would very much like to do next year is come back, ride the long weekend, and I can I can ride work it you know I can I can you know run some point or do some stuff like as a volunteer on long weekend and then I'd actually like to volunteer on race day because I think I you know it's a ton of work you see it going on behind the scenes and um, just it'd be helpful I think so there was yeah I mean in the beginning I didn't have much assigned to me I was trying to do little odds and ends for folks Matt like I said Matt was trying to do a thousand things at once. Um, then I did the MCN and I was trying to help out. And then at the end, you know, you know, just uh, like I said, I was picking up trash till like eight o'clock at night. And it's, I mean, it's so weird. Like we talked about it. Like most people are like, people were great there, but I don't understand all the people that leave junk. Uh, you like, know, you know, someone's got to pick that up, right? Police your stuff. We did that before we left. We, we yeah. did help police. Oh, no, we were. Yeah. I would police say, the trash. Um, but man, I did have some guy yell at me and maybe he's a listener. Maybe not. Um, he had a trash bag that I threw away, but apparently there was some type of batteries in there. I don't know if they were for lights or something, and I chucked it because it was a trash bag. I, and he came and yelled at me. I'm like, dude, there's like a truck over there with like 40 trash bags. Go look at it. So we, we had such an opportunity to meet so many people. Um, uh, we met a lot of people. And longtime listeners, people we call friends that we never met. First Ron, time callers. Ron, Dustin, all the outsider dudes. Ashley yep. uh, was, uh, I guess got into it because of us or got into Croatan and stuff and he lives yep. there. Yep. Had no idea. Listened to, listened to us and, and jumped on the long weekend. I yeah. mean, as a new cyclist that hadn't even, and he actually, well, I'm going to, I'm going to save that, but yeah. he actually shows up in this podcast a little bit later as well. Um, but so many people, the outsiders uh, are rad. Yeah. They kept me rolling through the day. Uh, so many and people night. we want to have now, now also, um, support your, your race photographers. There were race photographers on course, Bruce Buckley, a couple others, Bruce. I think. Um, but you know, go over there and, and, and buy your pictures, buy your photos. You'll find them. Look through them. You'll find them. You're probably in there. Uh, support your race photographers. That's a smart thing to do. And I'd actually, I'll, I'll throw yeah, it out Brett there. Rothmeyer and Bruce Buckley. Yeah. And Brett was actually out on long weekend. He was, he came out and was taking pictures of long weekend and, you know, he came to camp, and uh, so that was really cool. It was just such a a weekend full of just bike experience, community, fun, good times. It was a blast. Um, so, uh, before we get Ian, you want to uh, run through Strava Club real quick? Yeah, I was going to say something else. You said no games. I don't remember. No, um, it doesn't matter. Strava Club, let's see. Um, oh, we did... Uh, 
We had a man day on Sunday. You didn't say that. Mm. We did absolutely nothing. Yep. I kept Brian down with me because I basically drove our shop trailer to pick up kayaks about an hour and a half away. Make one trip instead of driving back down this week separately. And then my friend who we were going to go fishing with ended up having some health issues. So we woke up, had Bojangles. And I was like, let's go to this pier and sit for a little bit. And Brian's like, I can sit for hours. And I'm be like, uh, yeah, I could too. And we sat for two or three hours just At chatting least. and heckling surfers. You were um, doing yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, doing yoga on the warm wood. Then we decided, we were like, I want some fish tacos. We found a great, I wouldn't call it a taco shack. It's just a like, beach shack that had, yeah. a menu was amazing. I would love to go back there. We had some smoked tuna. Oh, I had some smoked tuna. Yeah, you smoked tuna. I had, smoked tuna. I was pretty full. I had shrimp tacos that were yeah. just... I the was funny thing. I was in eating mode at that oh, point. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, um, like I was my big like when I when you get sh- shrimp tacos up here or shrimp anything like we don't our shrimp isn't here. All right. It's not like down there where most likely you're getting shrimp from a local place. It's yeah. shrimp right from the water. Yeah. Uh, but it was great. Um, we witnessed a car accident. Yep. Um, so we moved inside, so we weren't witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh. Then we- Sat in a hotel room the whole half of the day. <laughs> we drove over to Warsaw and just jumped in the hotel room. And it was like it was like unspoken too. We both just walked in, laid down on the bed, turned the TV put on, on. Uh, college basketball. I'm like, all right. I, I would randomly throw snap pops at. <laughs> yeah, Brian got snap pops. Oh, <laughs> I want to tell you what. If you want to have fun, act like a kid again. Buy yourself a little twenty five cent box of snap pops and throw them at your friends every <laughs> once in a while when they're least expecting them. Um, the best one I think of was when you were going down the steps in the hotel and I threw oh, yeah. one way up in the air and it landed way. <laughs> down in front of you <laughs> yeah yeah we basically did that till like 10 o'clock at night watching <laughs> watch a basketball and it's like you know this was actually perfect day the perfect i wouldn't have, i wouldn't have made it fishing with how sunburn i got no, and no. being on my feet from like six in the morning till eight at night i would have been sitting on the boat like trying to yeah like, be like oh, this is more of an eco tour <laughs> uh so definitely couldn't have fished with a fly rod all day but um uh, yeah, that was. Uh, I think that wraps it up. I apologize to the uh, long weekenders that I woke up with Marvin Gaye on. Saturday it was morning. it was perfect. You it was pretty loud. It. You needed to do it. You needed. To I get figured us up. six o'clock. What a song! I'm going to tell you what. Getting up that little bit extra early because I had an alarm set for six thirty. But uh, getting up I at saved six, you guys. it actually I was really relaxed going into like no no yeah. panic mode of did I do this or did I do that. Yeah. Anyway, let's jump anyway. into Strava Club. All right, Strava Club, um, we have Brian Dussault. I feel like I'm announcing again. Uh, from <laughs> Feeding Hills, Massachusetts. So we have a mass hole on here with 238.6. Big week, job. Ashley Magnum. Mangum. Sorry, that's Mangum. Mm. Um, I have new glasses. From New Bern, North Carolina. Um, Ashley did the uh, long weekend with 154.8 miles last week. Good job, Ashley. Ashley is a straight up noob gravel cyclist. Eight months and, and didn't realize when he was living in New Bern and listening to podcasts that we were talking about his Croatan. <laughs> I know. Which is the other like here's I, Swansboro and here's Croatan or and here's New Bern and we're gonna. I, I actually would would like to get Ashley on the podcast to talk. Yeah, to her from, especially from as the, a newer writer, as a noob. Yeah, kind of. Thing. And he's like one of us. No yeah, offense. He's like he's uh, just an average dude. Average is what I saw. Average is cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fairweather Steve from Austin, Texas with 241.3. That's his name. Um, to break into the top 100, it went up a lot. A lot. Um, we were at 126.9. I don't think we moved anywhere in membership. Mm-hmm. I think once I get all the outsiders in our Strava Club, which I want to be like the outsiders. Um, they were cool. They were cool. They are so they cool. They had great beer from Fishtown. They had, the, they had beer with their own club on it. 
That's cool. Did you get the can with the habanero? Yes. Oh. Oh, that beer lit me up. That Dude, beer. But I drank it. Was only four and a half percent, maybe a five. Oh my goodness! It had a. Bite. We had some good beer. So Dan from Jubilee, sorry, um, Strava Club, yeah. Um, Dan from Jubilee brought us uh, Jubilee Farms. Mm-hmm. Dan came down and volunteered. Um, Didn't even ride a bike. Just came down. No, he and rode Friday. He Did rode he? A, okay. a little bit of the course. But he brought us some bourbon barrel aged um, stuff he's creating, and it's a low alcohol so count. It is. Good. You get usually get a beer like that. It's really thick and heavy. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was it was delicious. It was the right balance of flavor. I, I, I told him at one point. I said, "There's only one thing wrong with this beer. My glass was empty." Yeah. <laughs> and between that and the yeah. Fishtown, some IPA habanero. It was like mango habanero. It was mango habanero. Holy and that cow! That was uh, an ale. It was a mango habanero. It ale. was so, it was spicy at the end. Their seltzer was good too. They yeah, had, they, they fueled me with seltzer too, and I, I had one in a hotel room I saved. Mm-hmm. That's good. Solid, solid crew. I would go to any bike event with them. Absolutely. Yep. Um. Yeah. I met Pat. Pat came up. He's uh. He's like, ah, this is weird, but I'm Instagram friends with your wife. <laughs> I'm like, I'll be Instagram friends with you now too, Pat. And then uh, I, I'm, I know I'm, I'm leaving people out that we talked. We're to, leaving a lot of people out. There, uh, there's so many. I was so actually many. It was so cool. After we talked about it from Unpave last year, I was. It felt way more normal. I had more, way more people come up to me this weekend than ever before. And I was. It was actually. It was. I was. What's the right word? Um, I don't know. I don't know. It didn't feel. I, I don't know why it felt weird before. I'm just not. I'm just a average Joe. Yeah. But no, it was. Uh, it was really cool. So if you want to find us on Strava, Strava.com oh, forward yeah. slash clubs forward slash gravel travel dirt. Got a little lost in the sauce. Joining us now, Mister Ian Boswell. Welcome, Ian. It is fantastic to have you on this episode with us. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. It's uh, yeah, been a quick turnaround from. Croatin, but uh, back up, back up in Vermont now, where it's a little bit cooler. But uh, no, it's uh, yeah. I said always, it, always happy to chat and happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. I was uh, in a Waffle House the morning I was messaging you. I was like, uh, I, yeah, I, didn't, I was like, <laughs> all right, I'll take my shot and see if Ian wants to try to, you know, while it's really close in mind, yeah, go over this real quick. So first off, congratulations on your your buck fifty win, but most importantly, congratulations on being a new dad. Thank you. Yeah, both a uh, lot to celebrate recently, but no, I mean it was the first time we'd actually traveled with our daughter, um, and surprisingly, I mean that's probably the biggest victory of, of the whole week <laughs> coming down was that she didn't cry on the flight down or back. You know, I've, I've spent a lot of time on airplanes in the past, and you always when the baby sits next to you, I was like, oh boy, this is going to um, be a long flight. Now um, that was a yeah, de- she's the real champ of the weekend. December baby, right? My daughter just had my I just had my first granddaughter born in December, so I, I'm right there in that sort of same window of time. And I'm doing um, uh, granddad uh, daycare right now. Oh yeah. During the days. Yeah. She was uh, December 3rd or December 21st was her birthday. So um, it was also nice for her and my wife to get down. You know, I'd taken two trips prior to coming down to North Carolina out to California and Mexico. So I'd seen some sun so far this year, but my, my wife and daughter hadn't seen much sun yet. So they were super happy to get down there and spend some time on the beach that's cool man so so you're up in vermont um and and we want to spend some time talking about the buck 50 but before we get there um i'd like to spend just a little bit of time talking about you now you grew up in oregon and found your way to vermont how did that happen yeah i grew up in bend oregon um you know a great place to be raised and, and ride bikes and be outdoors uh you know, by the time I was, I guess, 18, I spent a year down in Northern California and then moved over to Europe when I joined 
team sky. Um, and so I'd periodically head back to Oregon just to visit family and whatnot. And my now wife, um, she was out there after college. She's from Vermont. She was out in Oregon just after, after college. And we met at a bar and yeah, I knew, um, always wanted to live somewhere with a little bit of property and kind of just settled on, settled on Vermont. Cool. And, uh, tell us a little <coughs> bit about, about farm life. What's farm life like? <laughs> oh, sorry. You're good. I picked up a lot of pollen down at, I picked I, up a lot of pollen down at Croton and oh, it's yeah. still in my throat. I um, did too. I did too. Yeah, no, it, no, it's, I mean, you know, I grew up in, in what was a smaller town, but it, it's grown a lot on Oregon. And, you know, I always really, I guess it's, you know, growing up in the West, you always like have this, I mean, at least I did like this desire to maybe not be a cowboy, but, you know, to have some land and, you know, have a tractor and, and all that. Um, but yeah, moving to Vermont, I was kind of like able to make all those, all those dreams come to life. And my wife, you know, she also has a lot of those skills, you know, gardening and got 20 some odd chickens and a dog and a bunch of apple trees. So it's sometimes a bit over my head just with like all that I'm trying to do with racing sure. and traveling. And, you know, I know the the pandemic was hard for so many people, but it was like such a great time for, for myself and my wife, just because we got to be home and like take care of everything. And we got <laughs> all these other projects started and off the ground. Now, any goats? Not really thinking no goats. Um, we would love to get some, you know, some livestock at some point, whether it's some goats, maybe, I don't know, some cows, some pigs. But um, at this point, you know, we just don't have the time for it. So that's something I've always wanted. One thing goats. at a time. Goats. Goats seem to fascinate. We spent some time at an Airbnb up in Connecticut and uh, it was a goat working goat farm and the goats would actually come in the house. It was it was the most bizarre thing, but also really super cool to like go down in the morning and there's a goat in the kitchen. It was just strange. It, <laughs> yeah. felt, it felt very New England to me. It just it just felt very New England. Um, yeah, yeah. What's the uh, the gravel scene now? The gravel scene in Vermont is hot, right? I mean, you guys got it going on. Yeah, I mean the the, the crazy thing about Vermont is like almost seventy percent of all like main roads are unpaved. Um, you know, so even like we live on the corner of five five different roads, and they're all dirt. Um, nice. You know, just because the the weather here in the winter, especially the roads, you know, deteriorate so quick if they are paved, so they just keep them dirt, and it's easier to grade them than it is to to pave them and it's cheaper in the long run right so there's been like a long-standing culture of i would say gravel riding although the gravel here is pretty actually fairly similar to croton you know like pretty smooth pretty buffed out um mm -hmm. but you know people who have been riding bikes for a long time here they've been riding gravel essentially forever you know because oftentimes the, the dirt roads are a lot better than the paved ones mm. and yeah there's been some you know kind of long-standing events up here that have you know built a big name and obviously you know there's some decent riders up in this neck of the woods as well you know with ted king and whatnot um but we got a lot more climbing than you do down in in north carolina and it's hard <laughs> for me to not get you know a thousand feet of climbing for every 10 miles which is the polar opposite of, of croatin but yeah. um you know we also have long winters which you know you spend a lot of time riding indoors or skiing or doing something else just because you know we can't really ride year round here yeah, I led a, a tour up through in New England, went through Maine and New Vermont, New Hampshire, and I went up to scout it. It was a fall leaf peeping kind of a tour. It was a three-week leaf peeping tour. And uh, I went up to scout it, and I came back, and I talked to a lot of the folks that were going to do the tour. And I said, now, you got some some thicker tires on your bike. That's what you're going to want to bring. And I had one tri-bike actually show up, and <laughs> that was the roughest oh, three weeks that she, I think, had ever endured on a bike. It was It was tough. That was the wrong bike for the wrong location so do you even uh do you even own a road bike anymore or like, that's a dumb question the way i said that 
No, I, I, it's funny. I do, but I almost never ride it. Um, you know, even today I went out and did a little hour ride, but I just rode my gravel bike and you know, the roads right now it's like mud season, which is like probably the worst season to be driving even yeah. worse than like ice of winters. Cause like you get these deep ruts and like, it's still frozen 18 inches down, but it's just <laughs> wet mud on top. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just ride my gravel bike all the time just because it's also more comfortable, especially on the dirt roads and you know, especially yeah. even, on, even on the paved roads where you have frosties and cracks, you know, just a bigger tire. Mm. It's like, I mean, I'll still ride my road bike once in a while, but I would almost, you know, say that I probably would never ride a tire less than a 38 millimeter again, just because <laughs> it's so much, it just feels safer as well, you know, just having a, having a bigger tire. Yeah. So now the story of how you landed in gravel is, is really kind of a story of angst and triumph, quite frankly. Um, and it's been quite the journey. Can you, you feel like you can share a little bit about that? So some of our listeners, our, our audience is a lot of mid pack, back of the pack, um, and new gravel cyclists. So they, they may not know that backstory. Yeah. So I raced professionally on the road. Um, I guess since 2013, I joined team sky, you know, prior to that I raced on, on live strong, which was like a develop, like one of the better kind of American development teams. And I signed with team sky spent five years with them. And then two years on, on Katusha. And the whole time I was living in, living in Europe, um, you know, racing on the road. So I did all the three grand tours, you know, the Giro of Wealth and, and Tour de France. And then in the spring of 2020, I had a, a really bad crash and had another concussion, which was a series of, of multiple concussions. Um, so I didn't race the rest of that year and kind of throughout the summer was deciding, you know, what am I going to do next? You know, I kind of felt like, I don't know if I want to go back to living that lifestyle. Cause you just put yourself in so much risk, you know, racing down wet mountains in the Alps, you know, it's like you have to hold the wheel in front of you and got to the point where I decided that I wasn't going to race professionally on the road anymore. And, you know, I had a good connection with some folks at Wahoo fitness, which is based down in Atlanta. Um, and I said, Hey, well, you know, they're a growing company at the time. And like, we're looking for someone to kind of take over and start kind of managing a lot of our, our athletes and, you know, team relationships. And I had no degree in, in marketing or in, you know, any sort of business. Um, but yeah, they kind of, you know, threw me a, a Hail Mary and said, Hey, like, we'd love for you to kind of take this on. And I started that um, January, 2020. And, and, you know, kind of as we, as the season got started, you know, obviously I was going to be going to events anyways, you know, just different events that the Wahoo partners, including, you know, Croatan. And I still, you know, I guess kind of backpedaling here a little bit, but through 2019, you know, from when I crashed in March, you know, I slowly through the summer, like started riding my bike a little bit more, but spent a lot of time, you know, just recovering and trying to figure out like, you know, am I able to ride again? Is, do I feel safe and comfortable riding again? Later that summer, I actually went down to UNC and saw some um, doctors there because they have a really good concussion uh, facility just with, you know, a lot of the football players, NCAA sports players that they see. So, yeah, I, uh, you know, took this job with Wahoo and you know, kind of re fell in love with riding my bike. Cause I wasn't all of a sudden nice. being told that I had to ride my bike. It was more like, cool, I get to ride my bike and I love riding my bike and it makes me feel good. And, you know, I get to meet new people and kind of re reshuffled like my perspective of what cycling is, you know, for the longest time I was doing cycling just for myself, just to go fast, to be the best I could possibly be. And, you know, making all sorts of sacrifices to be the best. And then I just kind of took a step back and, you know, I was like, Oh, like people just, enjoy riding, you know, of all speeds, all bikes, all levels. Um, yeah. So just through my, my role with Wahoo, I was like, I'm going to be going to these events anyways, which, you know, gravel was kind of just really, I mean, it was already big, but it was really taken off. Um, so I figured, Hey, I might as well, you know, I'm going to these events. I might as well participate while I'm there. And, you know, the pandemic happened in 2020, didn't go to any events. And 
then um yeah 2021 came around and uh did a race down in arkansas the rule of three and then did unbound and yeah everything went a lot better than i had thought from a results standpoint <laughs> so it went really well that was just a, <laughs> yeah but i think a lot of that is just a byproduct of you know for you know i've always enjoyed cycling but i'm just having fun with it now you know and there's not pressure and you know I, it's, it's so cool. These events, you know, especially, you know, coming down to the Southeast, like you just meet so many different people who, you know, you kind of don't, you would never run into if you're racing in Europe on the road, you know, and just right. to realize that there's so many people riding bikes of all different, you know, styles and speeds and disciplines. And it's just been an awesome, like kind of reawakening to how beautiful the sport of cycling is and, and to really kind of, you know, be, be a novice again, obviously, you know, I've done well as far as, you know, performance recently, but, um, you know, even the night before Croton, like there's all these riders from Flow Formula. We're staying at this house out on Emerald Isle and they're all like, oh, like what tire pressure are you riding? Like what kind of chain lube are you using? I'm just like, <laughs> this is what I got. Like, I don't know. You guys tell me what to do. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of fun to just be back in this element of like, you know, feeling like a kid again, just going out and riding your bike. That's a huge triumph oh, right yeah. there. That is, that is, that is so cool. That is to take something that was, could be, that could turn quite frankly, you know, that concussion, thing that we're all hearing so much about and dealing with. I, I have a personal connection to that. My wife and I were in a car accident um, back in 2012 and she you know, eventually was diagnosed with TBI and she went through an occipital nerve decompression surgery in the back of her head and it, it's it's a massive life changer and, and to have taken that instead of changing it for the worst to change it quite frankly as a triumph as a better. I applaud you for that. that that's a lot of people may have just curled up. So good job. Yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, you know, and I guess I saw, and I guess my wife saw probably more than I did, but how miserable I was not being able to exercise, you know, that's mm -hmm. like the one thing that just daily brings me joy just to get out, you know, and that, that was the thing, you know, when I was racing on the road professionally, it was like, you know, I had to do five or six hours. Now it's like, I got out today for an hour and I was like, this is awesome. I got an hour free break and it was sunny just to get out and ride. Um, you know, and it's, you know, something I'm still very aware of. Like I take a lot more caution in, in these gravel events. Um, and, you know, compared to professional road racing, it is a lot safer, you know, I'm, yeah. you can, you know, riders are further apart and, you know, you can, the races just separate quicker. You can kind of take your own lines. You're not really forced to close these gaps just because the speeds are a bit slower. Um, yeah, you know, I had a series of like six pretty bad concussions and some brain bleeds and stuff. So it was, it was pretty scary, you know, so to be back like racing is like, you know, cool. some people are like, Oh, what are you doing? It's like, but I mean, what's the alternative? Like I'm pretty miserable if I'm not out riding my bike, you know, I'm yeah. a difficult person to be around if, you know, if I don't have an outlet to, you know, burn some of this energy off. I mean, how was it like, I don't know, like with your wife, like this past weekend, you get, you were able to take the whole family down to the beach, enjoy it. I doubt you could probably do that back in the road racing days. And mm. like, was it the, a little more relaxed and such? I'm assuming. Oh yeah. It's, it's way more enjoyable. You know, we were out, my, uh, my brother-in-law actually lives down in Raleigh. So we went down there like the Monday before and, you know, we got to go out and, you know, all the, just the, the simple things of enjoying going to the South, you know, hush yeah. puppies and fried fish and all that, you know, stuff that you would never be able to do on a, on a pro road cycling team. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like, you really just get to enjoy, you know, the, the places you go and the places you see and you're going to taste it and feel it and smell it. Um, and you do that a bit when you're racing professionally on the road, but it's, you know, like I said, I, I get to do it kind of in, in my way now versus, you know, with a team, you know, you travel the world, but you're kind of in this bubble and all of a mm. sudden, you know, it's like, you know, we've entered the minivan and we got to drive <laughs> around and we got to, you know, see all different places. You know, the, 
before and after Croton, you got to go to the beach and put our daughter's, you know, feet in the water. And it's just little things like that, yeah. that you also feel just like a normal person. You just happen to also still go to this bike event, but you can make it more of a, a kind of a holistic experience rather than just, you know, going there for, for myself to do my thing. It's funny. Like the, the time I was traveling as a, like a race mechanic for continental stuff, I travel all these cool places, but never actually get to enjoy them. Yeah. People are like, what do you, you know, you were out in Breck Epic or something like that or working like uh tour Utah or something. I'm like, I don't was know. working the whole time. Yeah. I mean, you never get to take in the cool stuff. Or... So exactly. Yeah. In, in your opinion, you know, what's the biggest difference in, in the culture of the people between road cycling and gravel? Um, I mean, I'd say it's just, it's way more, I know this word gets thrown around a lot, but it just, it's more inclusive. You know, there's no, mm. there's no definition yet of what, I mean, it's gravel has kind of been defined now. Um, you know, just the fact that everyone starts at the same time, you know, all the categories, you know, whether it's, you know, people doing the short course, the long course, whether it's people in tandems, you know, when you think about professional or even, you know, domestic road racing, like everything's categorized, everyone's separate. You know, you have a cat four, you have a cat three, you have all these categories, everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And with gravel, like everyone's together, you know, everyone's starting together. People are, you know, on the course, and especially at Croton, you're seeing all sorts of people at all points in time. And it, it creates a sense of, you know, belonging and community and like this shared experience. Even if it's, you know, you finish and you hang out at the end and you grab a beer and get some food. And, you know, there's, it's much more social experience than, you know, I found on road and there's still, you know, a place for road racing. You know, I think, you know, the Tour de France and Paris Roubaix and San Remo are always going to be kind of the pinnacle of, you know, professional cycling. Um, but it, it's cool that, you know, so many people of all different, you know, abilities come together for these gravel events. And it's just, it's just also more relaxed. I mean, it's just, it's so cool that, you know, there's less rules in place. You know, there's no, even at Croton, you know, I was expecting us to like, you know, probably just blow through most of the aid stations, but everyone was pretty cooked and it was pretty hot. So it's like <laughs> this, this communal like discussion of like, Hey guys, let's all, let's all stop here. Let's fill up on bottles. Like, you know, we'll all cool. kind of get rolling when everyone's ready. Um, and, and not, a, not yet. I don't feel it. I'm sure it will come, but like where people are trying to like take advantage of situations like that. And you get a lot of that professional road race and everyone's trying to like stab each other in the back to, you know, get a foot forward. And, you know, at the moment in, in gravel race, it's very much like, cool, like, look, we're all in this together. Like, you know, we'll all stop, we'll all refresh. And like, you know, hopefully the, the best person or the strongest person wins, wins at the end. That's cool. That's cool. And, and the fact that, you know, I did the long weekend. Um, so there were 11 of us. And one of the guys that did the long weekend, he'd only been on a bike for eight months. And, to, you know, the fact that he lined up at the starting line, you know, in the same place that, that people of, of a much different caliber, like, this is really cool to put all those people yeah. together in the same place to start an event yeah. together and share that experience. So um, do you think you're finished with professional road cycling or is that going to some someday in some way uh, find its way back into your life? No, I think I've ticked that box. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm still a huge fan of the sport, probably more of a fan of it now than I was mm -hmm. when I was racing, you know, still watch most of the races on TV, you know, the first, First thing I do in the morning after I make a cup of coffee, coffee is, you know, check, you know, some cycling website to see, you know, the results. And I still have a lot of buddies racing. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I love it. I admire it, but it's very much like it's something I did, you know, but it's not, it's not something I would go back, back. To. It's just, it's such a big commitment. You know, it's like the, the lifestyle you have to live to be at the top. is just right. so, 
it's so focused and it's just getting more so every year, you know, whether it's altitude camps or, you know, sleeping in altitude tent, it's just, you know, the level of commitment is, is so great that, um, yeah, no, I, I enjoy what I'm doing now and, you know, I'm proud of what I've done on the road, but I can, you know, happily like say like, Hey, I did that. Got to do most of the races I ever wanted to do. And, you know, don't really need to go back and, and prove anything to, to myself or anyone else. Cool. So like, now that you're wrapped up and enjoying, I wouldn't say enjoying, I mean, it's uh, blanked out on that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now that you're wrapped, I mean, you, so like training wise now, and you have a, uh, a newborn. So how did you get ready with like, I guess, Croatan was your kickoff for the season. Like how was your winter <laughs> and prepping, especially living in Vermont? With a baby. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, we do have we do have long, cold winters up here. They're dark. Um, that's probably been one of the best things about, about all this is that, you know, I kind of get to do all these things that I didn't use. You know, I used to, like, from November, I'd go back to Europe and start training, and you're just you're riding the road all the time, and that's all you're doing. Um, you know, so I do a fair bit of, you know, backcountry skiing or cross-country skiing. You know, I'm also fortunate I work at Wahoo, so, you know, I spend a lot of time, I wouldn't say a lot of time volume-wise, um, but probably compared to most people who live anywhere else, like indoors, just riding on, on this program called system, you know, I can jump on in the morning, do a 45 minute workout, maybe do a 45 minute workout at night and just kind of really just stay active. My goal through the winter is just to, you know, stay fit enough that when, you know, warmer temperatures come or when I get to go somewhere warmer, I'm able to, to put in a big block of training. So I went out to, to Southern California in early February for a week. And then two weeks before Croton, I was down in Mexico with a buddy, um, just kind of randomly. And Colin Strickland came along and we did a four-day bike tour down there. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, it's funny because like my my mindset of being a professional road rider is so much on like the consistency of these big, hard training miles and a you know a super regimented program. And all of a sudden, I'm just doing what I feel like when I have time for, and it seems to you know seems to be working. It's it's what your body's um, responding to, probably yeah. more than any. I mean, you know, coming, it's it's your body's going to tell you what it wants to do, you know, and you know what yeah, level, yeah. you know what level you want to be at, and it's going to get you there. Yeah, and it's also it's just I'm also having fun with it. You know, it's like when I get to go out for a ride, like I enjoy it. You know, there's plenty mm. of times when I was racing professionally on the road, and like you just get you just get through a workout, and like it's like your it's your job, and you're just trying to do it. <laughs> Versus now, it's like you know, it's if I got you know two hours to go sneak out for a ride. I love doing it. Or if I get, you know, if the weather's nice early season and I get to go out for, you know, a long five hour ride, I'm like so happy I get to go out and do that. Like I said, I just, I've fallen back in love with nice. riding my bike, which is, you know, such a kind of a rare thing for someone who's been doing it so long. I have plenty of friends who retired from pro road racing and just didn't want to touch their bike again. So I feel fortunate that, you know, I stopped at a time when I still, I still love riding my bike. That is, that's awesome. I think one of the best things I've heard in a while was that it was one of your podcasts was um, your recap for 2022 or just not recap to start. It was like the first episode you were, you were up all night with, with your newborn and you told your friend you were going skiing, but instead of having, you slept for like an hour or something, sounds a little weird, like I'm a stalker, but, but you were like, you know, I don't, I don't want him to wake up and you guys went skiing. Like it was so early. Um, yeah. You didn't want to bail on him. Yeah. And uh, and you just chugged away with it, so yeah. that was pretty. Good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's the other thing is like you know when you're racing on the road, like you're so focused on your recovery, and obviously now like I'd love to be able to sleep more and take more naps. But <laughs> anyone who's got a newborn, you know, you realize you can't always do that, and like my windows of time to exercise is limited. Mm. You know, so I make like you know I, this winter, you know, I did do a lot of backcountry skiing, which means you know, I wake up at four a.m. and I'm on the mountain <laughs> by you know six you know skiing i'm back home by nine so i can be back you know be back in time for work calls yeah. um 
but again, it's just that I think, you know, one thing we probably all underestimate is like the psychological, you know, bump you get from exercise. And like, I can just get through a day so much better having woken up at 4am and done some exercise. And if I woke up at eight and just, you know, didn't do anything, I just feel like I grind through the day, but if I can get up and get out and get some fresh air and move my body, you know, I just feel so much better throughout the day. So before we switch gears and talk about the actual race, let's, can we do a bike check on the winning setup? That's what I, I want to hear about. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't there and you came back in. So I didn't actually get to see the bike and everything. What were you riding? How was it set up? And yeah, this is the first race I'd done on, uh, last year I rode the, the specialized diverge. And then this year, which is, you know, the bike, it's got, you know, uh, the future shock, which is like 20 mils of suspension up front, the headset, you know, it's more of a slack geometry. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great bike, you know, it was first and second at, at unbound last year with myself and Lawrence Tandam. But yeah, in like I said, October Specialized came out with the with the new Crux, which is you know traditionally was their cyclocross bike, but they've adapted it to be more of a, a gravel race bike. And this is my first race on it. It is freaking light. It is a weapon. It feels like I mean, it feels a lot like a more like my road bike than than any gravel bike. Nice. Um, so it was my first time racing, which is you know a good test. And that's you know part of the reason you know I know we'll speak about Croatin, but there's not many races that are 150 miles. So it was like a great event, you know event to come down to. I'm like cool, I need to test my equipment here because you know, I'm probably not going to do very many seven plus hour races between now and unbound. So let's, let's give it all a try. Um, you know, all, all SRAM, uh, running the access group set. Now I do have a 46 tooth chain ring up front, which most people aren't running something so big running one by, um, especially in a flat race. You know, if you're going that fast, like you need that, you need that big chain ring. Um, yeah. 1044 in the back revolve wheels, revolve handlebars, um, specialized pathfinder 42 tires people always ask me what tires i ride i always ride <laughs> the same tire like literally like from unbound until the end of the season last year, even at croton i had the same not just the same style of tire like the same tires i just oh, nice. keep i just keep putting sealant in them and people are always like messing around with equipment i'm just like just buy this tire they're not they're like they're, maybe like you can get them on sale for like 45 bucks a pop i'm a and path- they last for i'm a pathfinders rider absolutely yeah. that's day. the tire yeah, of the podcast yeah, they, they last forever and, you know, they're great for puncture resistance. They're fast rolling, um, had those tires on, you know, and then I've got my, my Wahoo bike computer. I've, I've been last year I did ran the, the Rome a lot, and I've been using the bolt, which is, you know, kind of a, a more smaller, sleeker bike computer, mm-hmm. um, still decide what I'm going to use for, for unbound, but you know, that's the biggest thing with a lot of these, you know, gravel events now is a lot of them are, I mean, Croton did a good job of marking the course, but a lot of these events, people don't realize they're you know, unbound, there's no course marking. So you need to like really dial in your, your bike computer. And that's one thing that, you know, I spend a lot of time doing training, just like I'll make a route and just practice, you know, you know, what sort of level zoomed in do you want to be to the map screen? Because, you know, some people they're too zoomed in and the turn comes up too quick or you're too far zoomed out and like, you can't see the turn in time. Um, you know, so just little things like that, like using the events to practice, you know, your, you know, obviously Croton was, was a big event, you know, it's like all kind of building towards, towards unbound again, um, so using events like that to just kind of practice and, and test things out. Well, no, I would not have thought about, you know, the subtleties of, of the level of zoom on the bike computer actually being such a factor. That's cool. Yeah. Well, you think when you're, I mean, it really depends on how many roads are in your area and then also, you know, how fast you're going. Obviously if you're going, if you're moving slower, you can probably be a bit more zoomed in, but if you're moving at 20 plus miles an hour, you know, I, I tend to find, you know, usually around a thousand foot zoom in is is usually what i run it at 
just because you can see what's coming up and, you know, especially at a race, you know, there's times when you turn into a crosswind and you have a climb, you know, so I'm always, I'm not a tech person, but I'm always flipping through my pages, especially if it's like a hillier course to see like, Oh, like, do we have a climb coming up? Do we have some turns coming up? Um, you know, it's super important to know, you know, what's coming up. Um, bike question real quick. It's actually really, my wife went from a diverge and her first ride was the crux this weekend. And hearing her describe, <laughs> her describe it for the first time tonight was a little, mm-hmm. a little, uh, I don't know. It was different. She actually preferred the crux over the diverge yeah. for, for certain stuff. And she's, I mean, you could put her on anything um, and she'll just ride it. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool here. And a lot of cruxes down there and then seeing you win on a crux. That's cool. Um, Lori was on her crux for the first time. Yeah, my right? boss yeah. was on hers. Yeah. and yeah. But on your crux, I, I believe, it, I know you have a chain guide on the front. It almost looks like a front derailleur for the average everyone else i mean most people looking but that is a chain guide right it is yes i'm still running a one by um yeah. i'm still trying to figure out because i'm also running the the sram um explorer group set which is like the new group set so you have a mm-hmm. it's a tighter cassette in the back mm-hmm. so i'm still like playing with with chain length um just because i am running a 46 up front you know so it's yeah you're you know, stretching. i'm just trying to figure out like you know when you're in the 10 like you don't want your chain to be too loose but you also have to have enough chain to make it into the 44 mm-hmm. so until i kind of dial that in i've just been you know I, you know i haven't dropped the chain on the bike but i just don't want to drop a chain on the no, bike. I, I, um, it was actually just kind of like a, a preventative measure at this point it was really cool seeing you with a chain guy down there i, I mean that's, that's my biggest thing yeah um it's smart yeah. i mean you, it gravel there's there's narrow wide rings are so solid but you never know in a race i mean that's the last thing you want to have oh yeah that's that would seem i thought it was pretty cool that you had it so so you did go out and pre-ride the course us lost lost, us long weekenders we we saw you out there you you went by us on one way we we were coming by the other way how much of the course did you actually pre-ride the entire thing yeah so on was that the was that the thursday thursday um Um, yeah we were staying over in emerald isle might have been friday uh I can't, remember, I can't remember which day it was. We went out on Thursday and came back on Friday, and then the race was Saturday. Yeah, maybe maybe it was th- it was Thursday because okay. you guys had just – because I just I left the racetrack just after you all okay. had, had passed. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I was down there. It was a gorgeous day, and the, the day before we were actually out there, so I rode that first muddy section. It was pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> so the next day I was like – it was just – it was just – it was just muddy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the next day I was like, you know what? Like I'm also down here. I still want to you know, get a big ride in. Um, so I went to the whole course. There was a time out and back on that big run. I was like, ah, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll turn around early. But I was like, you know what? I should probably see it. And I should probably just get a big ride in. And yeah, I did, I did the whole, whole course out, came back. Then I actually came back the way that you all went out, um, on okay. 58. So I, I didn't come over the, the sand trap on the way back. Gotcha. Um, and you know, thankfully it didn't, it didn't rain again. And that, you know, that little section turned out to be quite fun. Um, come, come race day. Yeah. It got better. But yeah. I mean, it's something I, <laughs> Yeah, yeah better. something that I, uh, you know, you know, I guess also just with my background of doing a lot of, you know, big stage races, my body also just responds a bit better to, you know, a big ride a few days before the event mm. rather than just okay. complete easy days. That makes sense. Um, that makes also, sense. like I said, I just, I just love riding my bike and, you know, I was down there and I had the time. I was, I was like, cool, I'm just going to go do a 80 mile ride. Um, so my, I never really, I don't know how this works for you guys. We see, we, we watch YouTube and see Ted King tinkering around with his bikes now. Like for you, like, and maybe doing a pre-ride and having a tech issue or whatnot, like, how do you deal with that now? Like, are you, 
are you learning how to work on your bike or have you always been a decent bike? I mean, that sounds weird, but um, something goes wrong right before. Like, what do you do? You know, it's funny you bring this up. Um, I'm not a great bike mechanic, but I know how to do, I've learned over the last, I guess, year, like how to work on most everything on my bike. You know, I've, I've okay. still haven't learned how to like bleed brakes, but you know, mm-hmm. I can more or less adjust my derailleur. I can, you know, do tubeless tires. I can adjust, you know, most things on the bike, but I tend to just like try to keep my bike. And this is like a tip for everyone. Like I try to keep my bikes in good condition. Mm-hmm. So I travel to the race, you know, and you know, very seldom, but never does something happen to my bike and travel, you know, so you get there, you pack it up, right. I you know, use, um, you know, kind of plumber's foam around all the tubes and you know, I overpack my bikes. When I get there, I build it up. It should be good to go. Like all you should need to do is just, you know, on Friday after or Thursday after the ride, you know, I went to a gas station, I power washed it, you know, got all that mud off it. I knew that Friday I was just going to do an easy ride, but it's like I said, this is funny you asked me because you know, people always have these catastrophic mechanicals at bike events. And I'm always thinking, how do people always have these major <laughs> issues that things that shouldn't happen? You know, they break a derailleur or they snap a chain. I'm like, what? Or, you know, their bars break. I'm like, how do like their bars slip? I'm like, how's this stuff happen? So I said, we were staying out at this house with all these flow formula guys. And, you know, the Friday night, you know, 6, 7 p.m., you know, the race is in 12 hours. And I got onto the garage and like four people had their bikes halfway taken apart. I'm like, what are you, what are you guys doing? You know, someone is changing the chain. They're changing the derailleur pulleys. And I'm thinking this is, and I, it clicked and I'm like, this is why people have mechanicals. Cause I'm like, you all rode today. No one had an issue with their bike. And yet they're like, decided like, oh, I better put on this new thing or change this thing. And it's just like, I just, you know, kind of the way, same way I race. Like I try to avoid, you know, risk. And I assume like, doing a major overhaul on your bike the night before the race is oh, risky because yeah. you haven't tested Absolutely. it. You know, if your bike is good, I mean, you asked me about living kind of farm life. Like our house was built in 1785. It's an old farmhouse. And I've learned like, if it's not broken, don't touch it because you're just going <laughs> to open up a can of worms. If you try to start tearing something apart. So I mean, that's, that's really, you know, I, I try to do as little on my bike as I need. I just try to keep it clean and like, yeah. more than often than not, if you just keep your bike clean and good running order, like, it's just small maintenance, you know, changing brake pads, changing chains once in a while. And that's pretty much it. You know, other than that, you know, sealant in the tires, um, just keep it, keep it simple. And especially before a race, like, yeah, unless you have like a lot of confidence in your mechanical skills, even then that's when you're going to forget to tighten a bolt or to, mm-hmm. you know, do something crucial. Just like <laughs> I just advise people the night before the race, your bike should already be good to go. Like <laughs> do that stuff two days before pre-ride it and don't touch it. Because, yeah, I, uh, I always see people, you know, always hear stories of these horror stories. I'm like, how did that, you know, someone was setting up new cleats on their shoes. I'm like, that is a horrible idea before a 150 mile race. You're going to have a knee injury. <laughs> your cleat bolts are going to come loose. Like this, they were, your shoes were fine yesterday. Just ride the same shoes. Don't touch it. So I, I, my bike, I, I actually did on, on Friday for the long weekend on the ride back in, um, I hit one of those potholes loaded and it, it untension to spoke and i had all sorts of issues and thank god for joey who brought a spare bike and actually had a set of wheels and threw them on my bike so i was actually able to, oh, to ride on saturday i worked on a lot of bikes friday night <laughs> that, I sh- that i shouldn't have but yeah, joey, yeah. Joey, Same thing. joey's a strong buzzed bike mechanic <laughs> i give him all the credit in the world all right let's take a look at race day um what's pre-race breakfast is it always the same or you know what's it look yeah. like yeah yeah i uh 
you know, I work with this company actually from out in Oregon called Picky Bars. And they make this awesome yeah. kind oh, yeah. of mixed oatmeal. Um, it's got like chia seeds in there and nuts. And they have this one called Trail Mix Fix. It's got chocolate chips in there. So I always, I mean, I always make it the night before, you know, because a lot of these events, you're waking up early. You know, so I'll make it the night before with hot water, pop it in the fridge. So I wake up and it's pretty much good to go. So a big bowl of that, um, you know, a couple of cups of coffee, usually an apple. And then uh, that's pretty much, that's pretty much my, my breakfast before, before every race, um, every race, yeah. you know, sometimes I'll throw some peanut butter in there or something like that. If, you know, if it's around and I'm feeling like it and then just staying hydrated, you know, even starting the night before, just drinking a lot of electrolytes just to, to almost kind of hyperhydrate and, you know, kind of getting into the race, you know, like the first <clears throat> hour or so I feel pretty horrible just mm-hmm. because I've eaten so much the night before and for breakfast, you're just so pumped full of, you know, carbohydrates and, and sodium. It's an eating um, contest. You know, yeah. yeah, kind of. You know, it takes a while just to kind of like burn through all that excess carbohydrate, but you need it, you know, come into the race. That's when, you know, that's when you're happy that you ate all that extra food the day prior. You got any um, little pre-race habits, practices, superstitions, anything that you, you kind of got to do before the day? Um, Not really anymore. You know, when we used to race in the world tour, we used to have like a team bus and I'd always, we all had like our own seat on the bus and I used to always buckle my backpack into the seat. Um, I I don't have a team bus anymore. So no, I mean, and you know, all these events are so different, you know, whether how you get to the race or do you ride there, but no real, you know, no real secrets or superstitions or, you know, rituals or traditions I do before just try to keep it consistent. You know, I try to prepare as much as I can the night before. So one less thing to, you know, I fill up my bottles the night before, try to get all that stuff ready just so it's one less thing to think about. So you can keep it as as simple as easy come the morning of the event. And what, what kind of nutrition do you carry on the bike? Yeah. I mean, so my, I mean, again, it's just like all these events, it's, I'd encourage people just to, you know, to dial it in, dial it in, in training, you know, so I'm using the flow formulas and on my bike, uh, on the, in the bottle. So I had three scoops of, of the mix in both bottles and I prepared two extra bottles for when we came back to the start finish. That was four bottles, but we also stopped, um, you know, coming back the first time through the aid station and then going back out and coming back. So I think we had goodness, must have drank like eight bottles. Wow. Um, and they thankfully, you know, Flow Formulas was also a sponsor of the event. So I was able to fill up my bottles, you know, there with, you know, the same stuff I was used to and my body was used to. Um, so a lot of, a lot of calories just through liquids and then, and then the picky bars in my pocket. So I had eight, eight or nine picky bars. Um, you know, a variety of flavors just because, you know, mix it up. you need something different. Yeah. Mix it up. Yeah. And then outside of that, um, I had one, one gel, um, that had some caffeine that was later on just, to, I mean, there's a physical benefit, but also, you know, you kind of get to this point late in the race when you start to get a little bit, not cross-eyed, but just like almost more for the mental focus, you know, especially coming back through the, through the cornfield and through that little mud pit. I knew like, cool, like I need to be mentally, I need to be sharp. And you think at that point it's, 10 hours since you drank a cup of coffee. Um, so just a little bit of caffeine just to, you know, kind of focus in at the, at the finish of the race. That's, that's funny. Um, that was the spot where I lost my focus. Cause I, we, we did that coming back from the, the long weekend and some of the folks that came down that were with us. And, and that was my advice. It was like, you know, keep your focus because those little potholes pop up like out of nowhere and coming out of the cornfield um, there was that one little section that was kind of sandy. It was a little bit of more of a, yeah. uh, like a swale, like a kind of came down and went back up. 
And all day long, I, you know, the, the other times I'd pass through there, that sand didn't catch me at all. But that last trip through completely, totally lacked focus. And, and it almost, it almost took me down, but I, I see what you're saying. That, that, that focus, that little bit of caffeine can, can kick you yeah. back in. I also have this weird habit of, I always also carry chewing gum in my pocket. Um, <laughs> Which is weird. I sometimes just get bored. And so I'm just like, I'll pop in a fresh. I mean, it's also maybe it's like a refreshing like thing. Like, you know, you're eating all this, you know, drinking all these sugary drinks and you're eating all these, you know, bars and stuff. And so sometimes I'll just pop in a piece of, you know, some like winter fresh gum. And it's just, it's like a bit refreshing, you know, just kind of, it wets your mouth and it's kind of just cleansing. I can see um, the, the minty thing too would really serve to kind of like, like open you up, kind of like get you going. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. I mean, also like sometimes I look. Like I just get bored. <laughs> so, you know, if I have a piece of gum and it's like a little bit of entertainment or something like that. Yeah. So uh, there was a neutral rollout. Now, from us in the back, I have no idea where that ended. Where did the, where did the neutral rollout actually end? Uh, I think it was just after. You know, there was that little kind of there was that pothole that had like the flagging tape on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so stay, we started stay right we went, or stay left or something had it on. Yeah, it. stay right. Yep. Yeah. So just after that is when they when they okay. opened up the, the neutral rollout. Um, you know, I was at the front for, for that first section, but I'm sure at the back it was, you know, probably could see a lot less than we could see could see up front. Right. But <laughs> well, we were way in the back. So it was kind of like, like I don't mean any any we see that. So on on that first lap, when did the front sort of the pack sort of begin to take shape? Uh pretty I mean you know, that, that first mud section definitely kind of was the first big selection, which that was only, you know, what, eight miles in and then the cornfield. Yeah. So I think we probably came out of that with maybe 30 riders, maybe another 20 riders or so caught on afterwards on the big road. And then there's that little lollipop that we did out at the end. Um, when both Dylan Johnson and I kind of pushed it through there with another guy was, I think Logan, mm-hmm. um, we all kind of pushed it through that. There was kind of that rougher section out on the lollipop before you came back on the big road and we pushed it through there and that probably dropped it down to maybe 15 or 20 guys. And then kind of every time, you know, coming back through the cornfield and the, and the mud section again, you know, it seems like all these kind of decisive points is when you kind of make the, make the race hard because it's harder for people to, you know, close those gaps. And it's kind of when people become exposed, because especially coming back in from that whole loop, it was so much headwind, you know, people could just kind of sit on and, and follow. And it was crazy. And I spoke to Hawkins the other day about this it's such a fast course, but it's also, you know, because like you think about if you're on a climb, like someone's going 12 miles an hour and someone's going six miles an hour, you're doing double the speed. Mm-hmm. But if you get dropped at Croton out of that front group and they're doing 22 and you're doing 19, you're not that far behind, you know? So like if the front right. group slows up a little bit, like you can kind of catch them, like you can always see them. Um, you know, so we kind of had a, maybe it came back into the start finish after the first lap with like 12, 15 riders. And then it kind of shrunk again, going back out, you know, you kind of have that mud and, and cornfield section in pretty quick succession between coming back in and then going back out again. Was it, was it difficult to come sort of back to the start at the speedway and then turn around and go back out? I know a lot of people that I talked to were like, that was, it, it, maybe it's a mid pack back of the pack kind of thing, but it felt like it was like almost they were a little demoralized coming back to the start where they began and then having to turn it back around again. Yeah. The first time coming back, I was like, really, we have to go back out and do this again. Um, <laughs> I, I was joking with the people in our group. Like we should make like some award, like let's do a sprint for the finish line after the first lap. And if you win, then you don't have to go do it again or something, yeah. <laughs> um, you know? Cause it, I mean, you think it's, you know, you're, you're already, 
you know, I think we were probably already three, three plus hours in, which is still a long ride. Yeah. And to think like, wait, we have to go back out and do all of that again. And it was getting hotter and it was getting more windy. Um, yeah. And it was just like, okay, that's, we're half, we're halfway there. You that, know, like you're still, that yeah, had, that had got be, ways to go. The, the other half of the day, I mean, you know, sector four and the cornfield were one thing. And then I guess the other story of the day was the wind. Um, that yeah. headwind coming back was rough. Did any, that impact you guys at all out on the front? You know, not really, I guess in the sense, you know, so heading out for the second lap, I mean, it went a lot faster for me mentally because the group was smaller. So it just feels, you know, I'm again, like I'm just very cautious about like not trying, you know, not taking risks that I don't feel comfortable with, not crashing. As the group gets smaller, you can be more, you know, you can see more, it feels a bit safer, you know, kind of know the everyone's riding style. Um, so once we got out to that lollipop the second time and we had, I think six or seven riders, I knew that like, you know, that was going to be, we were going to all come back to the cornfield together just because coming back in with that headwind, like, you know, it's really hard to drop someone just because you get such a big draft, especially the speeds higher. Mm. Um, it definitely played a, you know, definitely played a factor, but you know, Dylan Johnson kept trying to ride hard before we came back on that lollipop. And, you know, I guess I have more of a road racing background than him. I was like, I didn't say this to him at the time because I didn't want to like give away my strategy, but I was kind of like, dude, like don't attack these guys because you're going to discourage them from helping us. Like I want as many people as possible going back towards ah. the cornfield just to help us pull, you know? And he yeah. was like trying to like attack and make the group smaller. And my, my thought was like, cool, let's, let's like, I mean, let's milk all the cows dry before we attack them. You know, like let's get everything out of these people. Cause I don't want to pull just you yeah. know, me and Dylan and one other guy all the way back, Yeah, you know, yeah. with, with four other guys chasing you 20 seconds behind. So you have to stay on it. You know, if you can use, you know, it sounds bad to use them, but you're, if you no, can use the energy of everyone, yeah. also everyone's going to get back quicker. Um, you know, so just trying to keep, you know, trying to like, almost encourage the group to be like, hey guys, come on, like, let's just keep pulling through. Um, just knowing, you know, with that wind, it was going to be, it was going to be a slog coming home. So yeah. Any, yeah, I tried to not do too much attacking out there. Any issues facing the oncoming traffic from the mid pack when you're, you're turned around, you're obviously out in front you're turned around and coming back and then you've got riders still coming at you. Well, maybe this is a question for, for, you know, people who are in the mid pack and I'd love to hear this, you know, the second time we had very little, um, the first time we had a little bit coming back through the mud section. And, you know, by that point there was kind of like two distinct tracks mm -hmm. yeah. and, you know, we always try to do our best job of like, you know, letting people know like, Hey, we're on your right or we're on your left or we're coming through. And I always feel like such a jerk. Like, you know, my race isn't more important than the person who's, you know, just going back out for their, you know, I feel like everyone, everyone paid an entry fee. Everyone's here together. Everyone's trying to have the best day possible. So I feel like a jerk, like, Hey, on your left, on your left. Um, but I also don't know. I also sometimes get the impression that people love that. Like they love seeing yeah. the people come flying by like, wow, they're already almost yeah. done. I, I so got it's it. like, it's hard for me. <laughs> yeah. I, got, I got a huge kick out of it. I, I got a yeah. huge kick out of it. And, and the fact, and I actually learned something too, um, coming back through the mud section in sector four, there was obviously a, a hard charging group coming back out as I was headed in. And, and I, I did, I think what was probably the right thing to do, we kind of got out of the way. There was three or four of us and it was, you know, the, the couple of really deep muddy sections, we were yeah. just coming up on them and we saw them coming from the other direction. And it was almost like nobody really thought about it. We just kind of stopped and kind of got out of the way and to watch how they attacked that mud section and how they charged it as opposed to trying to pick it. It, it really kind of like clicked in my mind. It was like, okay, you know, charge that. Don't just kind of sit back and let it come to you. You go at it. 
And so I, I learned something from that. So, and I think you're right. I think people get a huge kick out of seeing that. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's again, it's it's a fine line between like you know focusing on your race and doing what you need to do, but also respecting everyone else's time out there. Um, but you know, kind of back to one of your earlier questions that we spoke about, like that's one of the cool things about gravel is like there's so much shared experience just through observation. Mm. You know, in a, in a road race, if you're racing the Cat Fives, you're only learning from the best Cat Five. Versus in a gravel race, if you're a first time participant, you're learning from someone who's done years of it and you can see that and you can visualize it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I feel like the level of everyone is raised at every event because they get to see what other people are doing around them, which is something, you know, you don't get in, in many other sports, which is awesome to be able to have, you know, someone who's a brand new beginner and someone who's a professional all racing together. They learn much quicker than they would if they were just out there with a bunch of other beginners. Were there, um, any issues with the finish? having to cross 58 um, or did they have traffic control when the, when the, when the leaders came through, that was something we were talking about in the back. We weren't really sure. No, we, we didn't. Um, you know, but something that's kind of become like, I don't know, I don't say an unwritten rule, but like at that point, you know, we knew that like, Hey, you know, there were three of us at that point when we came back on 58, it's like, Hey guys, let's, you know, let's keep it safe. We're going to bring it down to a sprint on the racetrack. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we all want to get back to the place safe. No one's going to be attacking on the highway. So, you know, just being smart, but, you know, there was a cop at the, at the turn with his lights on, but he wasn't stopping traffic. Okay. Um, so it's just a matter of being, being safe and being wise. You know, that's one of the things about these gravel events is most, all of them are on open roads. So just being aware of, you know, not pissing off traffic as well, because there's, you <laughs> know, 800 people behind you who are going to come through the same section and you don't want some angry driver out there. I, I kind of, uh, so especially on a, big road just follow the rules of the road yeah i kind of had that feeling because we we weren't we weren't really sure we, we were talking about it at one of the aid stations we were finishing um how that would play out and 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 i actually think i even said it i said i said you know these guys the way that they're going to approach us on the front it's going to there's, there's a gentleman's aspect to it kind of kind of yeah. thing and and that's, that's really cool to hear that's actually how it played out what was what was the toughest part of the day for you oh goodness um probably the, probably the first like two hours going out, you know, we still had a big group and like, you know, I feel like I was, there's still a lot of horsepower in the group. And I feel like there's a lot of people who knew who I was. So like, I would try to let a small group go with like this, some of the, you know, Jeremiah and uh, you know, Will and uh, Logan and, and Dylan, like I'd let them get a little bit of a gap. I'm like, cool. Like I'll let them get like 10 or 15 seconds with a group of, you know, 10 people and I'll sit back and then I'll try to jump across. <clears throat> um, just because then you're in a smaller group, but mm. every time I did that, then everyone would come with me. So it was like, it started to become dangerous. Like, uh Oh, like I'm going to let one of these groups go. And then I'm not going to be able to actually get across. <laughs> so, right. you know, like just playing into my, you know, strategy is like, you know, trying to keep an eye on everyone, keep everyone close enough without burning too much energy. Okay. So, um, what other races you got on schedule this season? <clears throat> Yeah, so I'm heading out to Sea Otter next. Um, probably not racing out there. I'm going out with with Wahoo to you know do some stuff. And then there's two events up here in Vermont. There's a smaller event called the Muddy Onion, and then the next weekend is Raspatitsa, which could be a, a mud fest. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then yeah, and then I'm going to grab a Locos and then Unbound. So yeah, I mean, comes up comes up quick, and that's part of the reason why I was happy to get down to you know, to do Croatin was just to get a, a big long race early in the season. Cause nothing that I have coming up will be, you know, quite that, quite that long. And, you know, it's always great to just, like I said, te test out your equipment and nutrition and, and all that early in the season. So let's, let's hit those sponsors Bes besides your wife, Gretchen, who is it that keeps you out there and lined up at the start? 
Oh, I mean, there's a lot of people behind me, but yeah, I mean, that's one of the, the beauties of, you know, kind of what I do now is I get to work with brands that I actually really enjoy. So, you know, headline would be, be Wahoo. I work full-time at Wahoo and, and manage all of our athletes and relationships, um, you know, pretty much head to toe and, and specialize makes it easy on me to not have to, you know, search out a bunch of different partners, you know, whether it's shoes, tires, bikes, saddles, that's all specialized flow formulas for, for my nutrition, liquid nutrition, picky bars, and then got, um, yeah, Thule for when I have a hydration pack. I almost actually threw on a hydration pack going out the second time, but I didn't. Um, I noticed Will did, um, who finished third. And that was, that was a smart idea. And I, I had it and I was like, oh, maybe I should throw this on, but no one else was. So I, I didn't <laughs> other than Will. I, um, I questioned our lead up for this. That was one of the things that I, like two weeks ago, I was like, Joey, what do you think about throwing a hydration pack on? And, and so we went round and around yeah. with the choices on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't have been a worse. It wouldn't have been an awful choice. Um, you know, especially being such a flat course, it's not the weight's not going to slow you down at all. It's also for me, it's a bit of a safety thing again with the focus. Um, you know, I, I don't have to go down and pull that bottle and I can just throw yeah. that hose right in my mouth and stay hydrated and not think too much about it. And that was really kind of one of the things that I was, I was focused on, but I, I eventually opted not. Um, if, if any of our listeners want to follow along with your adventures or races or shenanigans, how can they find you? Yeah. So, uh, Instagram, I think it's Ian underscore Boswell. And then I also have a podcast of my own that, that Joey mentioned, um, that's called breakfast with Boz. You can find it anywhere where you get your B O Z, um, not B O S S. There's someone else who's the boss, <laughs> not me. Um, and then, yeah, that's pretty much, pretty much my two main kind of social distribution platforms would be Instagram and, and the podcast that I do. We'll put links um, to all that in the, yeah. in the show notes for our listeners. They'll be able to find that pretty easy just by clicking it. You got some good videos on the Wahoo channel too. Yes. Kind of. Yeah. 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 There are yeah. some, some frontiers videos at, at Wahoo's YouTube yeah. channel and, and hopefully more to come uh, later this year. Now I, that trainer season's over, it's on a loop on our TV at the shop. Yeah. <laughs> the frontiers. Awesome. Um, no longer Zwift. I will. Yeah. Finally. Uh, but um I do. I will say in preparation, we did do breakfast for dinner tonight before this. Mm-hmm. Just yep. to, Ooh, just homage. to try to impress you a little bit. I don't know. It was just uh, what'd you what'd you cook? Uh, we kept it simple. We did eggs, hash browns, and sausage. Um, I didn't Beautiful. have time to make a, you know anything complicated like waffles or anything, but just enough to get off work and be here in time for, <laughs> to do this. Joey and I have been sitting together one night a week for just over what, almost three, three and a half, and a half years, years three and a half years now doing this. And, uh, you know, wow. it's just enjoyable. And, and I, you enjoy doing your podcast. It's obvious as well. Yeah. It's, um, it's great. I'm also a listener. Um, and, and it's really cool. I think that in YouTube, I've been, I think YouTube has been a great influencer because I mean, there's some really, really high quality content out there for the world of gravel. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Listen, Ian, thank you for joining us tonight and recapping that. We've kept you a long time. Our last little bit, and I hope you're going to stick around and join, and join us for our this or that. So we're going to throw a couple of things out there and you make your choice. Explain yourself if you like, uh, but you don't have to. Um, I'm going to toss them over to you first, Ian, then I will give an answer, and then Joey, you're up. Does that sound good? Yeah. For, first item on Croatan, sector four or that finishing headwind? What would I prefer or what sure, would I, sure. uh, I'd say sector four. Right. I actually, I, I enjoyed that, especially the more it got kind of buffed out. It was kind of like, I don't know, yeah. like riding the cobblestones in, in Roubaix or something. 
I, I also would go with Sector 4 because part of it for me, that finishing headwind, you had the tailwind going out to that second aid station. And but the whole way out, you're just watching those people suffer coming back into that wind. Yeah. It's like this future vision of what you're going to have to deal with. So I'm going to go with Sector 4. Joey? Um, <laughs> I had a microphone in my hand for 10 hours. <laughs> I just got to uh, live vicariously with that. Okay. So. Um, second item on this week's so a bed and breakfast or a chain hotel? Bed and breakfast. Always, yeah. I, I I really enjoy meeting people, and especially when you travel to you know different areas, just just speaking to people. Yeah. Um, and I like I like the quirkiness of you know some random bed and breakfasts that you'll find. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I'd I'd much rather do the Airbnb than the chain hotel. Although the it, the chain hotel sometimes has its appeal because you don't have to yeah. social. Sometimes you don't want to like interact with people, so it's super easy to just like sit in a room like we did on Sunday, Joey. Oh yeah, just, we were in a hotel Sunday. We just checked um, out. That totally. I wouldn't have stayed in solo, um, <laughs> so I would definitely go with bed and breakfast. Bed and breakfast. We're in a yeah, bed yeah. and breakfast town down here too, yeah, so it's absolutely yeah. it's where we live. And and paying homage to breakfast, the third item: bacon or sausage. Bacon. Yeah. Always, and I don't, I don't know why, but like if I'm to order a breakfast sandwich, I'd always throw, I'd always throw bacon on it. Also, bacon's versatile. You can have it pretty much any meal of the day. You can throw it in salad. You can throw it in a soup. You can put it on pasta. It's, it's pretty universal. It's, it's funny. I will go. I obviously bacon. I mean, I, I, we actually have done some things where we try to see how much bacon we can fit into different styles of frame bags. Um, <laughs> I would definitely go with bacon. But when I get a saw like a breakfast sandwich, I tend to always go with sausage. Because it's like feels huh. more substantial to me. But actually, if I could get a sausage sandwich with a side of bacon, I think that's the winner. Joey, there, there you go. Well, like sausage patty sandwich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. we had sausage links tonight. It was Only because really bacon would have been a mess. Yeah. As far as a ten minute, twenty minute dinner, but yeah, I'm gonna go bacon. Bacon. Yeah. Hey, bacon's a winner. Bacon. Uh, there, I see more bacon on some of these gravel rides that depend on the atmosphere of the aid stations and stuff. Um, so yeah. Bacon can also fix your tires, so yeah. that's good too. <laughs> true, um, true. Last item, and and this is a very Ian specific, uh, being a part of the Tour de France field or winning Unbound. Oh, um, I mean, I guess I never expected to do gravel. So mm. I, you know, I, it was my childhood dream to race in the Tour de France. Um, you know, so there's a lot of like nostalgia with having done that and just been there. And, you know, it's such a childhood dream, but you know, there's been a lot of, you know, winning unbound was awesome. That's a hard one. That's a, that's a coin toss. Um, I mean, I would say probably would have to fall to tour de France just because it was such a childhood dream, Yeah. you know, kind of working up from that since I was, you know, first saw the race and goodness when I was 10 years old, you know, to finally make it there was like such a, you know, personal accomplishment. Um, but cool. yeah, unbounds winning unbounds a close a close second place. Cool. Um, I obviously can't speak to either one of these things, so yeah, I, no. I, I will flip it to just like watching the Tour de France or actually riding in Unbound, and I would go with riding in Unbound any day of the week. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's yeah. that's an experience I'm not gonna. Joey Joey did DK in 2017. Yeah, yeah. Nice. the experience itself you're just not gonna replace or have something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so, going out and doing Gravel Worlds this year. It's going to be my, um, my like one big Midwest thing. I think you know yeah. it's a long ways. Midwest is different. It's cool. Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited about yeah. experiencing that. East Coast is the best coast, but 
Yeah. Well, it's about time for us to shut this thing down. Yeah. Ian, thank you so, so yeah, much. Yeah, I told for you 30 us. minutes, 40 minutes max, and we're at an we're, hour. We're so. at an hour. We've taken so oh, much all right. of your I'm, time. Tell dude. your wife, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Not a problem. Yeah, she, uh, she's, she's dealing with our daughter who maybe you've heard crying in the background, but it's okay. we hopefully got, she'll be sleeping. She'll we be get, sleeping by the time I'm done. <laughs> we get dogs barking and <laughs> my dog and wife. Right? <laughs> yeah, dog it's all class, good. So. It's all good. Uh, thanks yeah. everybody for listening to this episode of Mid-Atlantic Gravel, Travel, and Dirt. If you enjoyed the podcast, maybe consider joining our Patreon family. Joey, how can folks get in touch with us? Uh, GravelTravelDirt.com and our Instagram is MidAtlanticGTD and Ian just gave his uh, yeah. credentials a yeah. little bit ago. We'll, we'll put links in the show notes. Yep. Mid-Atlantic Gravel Travel and Dirt, folks, is recorded this week from right here in Joey's Kitchen in Solomons, Maryland, all the way up to a, a goat farm or chicken farm in Vermont. <laughs> uh, thanks for riding along. Until next time, do good, be nice, go slow, respect others. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs>